and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Why do truck companies do ads showing their trucks pulling in possibly large loads or other feats of durability? Aside from the macho factor, it's to show us that the truck is more than able to handle our needs. What can we conclude from God giving us Christ? How shall God not, with Christ, give us all things is part two of Rest Secure, and it's taught by lead teacher Randy Pope and covers Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Thank you for joining us today. You were with us last week. I suggested that there are numerous voices that are constantly and persuasively trying to convince us. That when things happen in our life experience that go against our greatest hopes and dreams, that we have good reason to fear the future, maybe to question the love of God for us, certainly to have a sense of insecurity. The series that we're in now is designed to give you a louder and stronger and more convincing voice And those voices that we hear from our own feelings as they scream at us, our logic as it tells us, the evil one himself who would be so persuasive, a voice that needs to say to us, even in the hardest of times, you rest secure. And we have to hear the voice of God, and that voice has got to drown out all other voices. So throughout this series, you're going to hear the message coming from different ways, But the same basic message, it's a message of God's great love for his people. We so underestimate the love of God. I think you'll see that today in a very specific way. We're going to be in the text of Romans throughout this series. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there now. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31 through verse 39. What shall we then say to these things? We'll stop right there before I read the balance of the text. Notice that every verse from this point on, each verse asks a question. And it's these five questions that are asked that build the case for the great love of God and the security that we can have. First question, midway through verse 31. If God is for us, Who is against us? Second question, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask you now that you would take this, your truth, and you would burn it into our minds and into our hearts. And we pray that as a result of this, not only would we find blessing, but most importantly, that you, our God, would be honored by what happens in our lives and ultimately through our lives. So grant that, we pray, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. Our text begins with those words, what then shall we say to these things? And in case you weren't here with us last week, these things referring to all of what's in chapters 1 through 8 as we know it, but specifically and more importantly, the things that have been said in chapter 8 of Romans. That is what he is truly focused on, what's just been said. Now, with that, this is actually a fourth piece to four mini-series that have been done over the last four or five years. Each of these series in Romans chapter 8, all put together under a grand title that we call Faith Advantage. The Faith's Advantage. We have an incredible advantage as Christians. And for us to understand that, what he's told us in Romans 8 is just to underscore all of those advantages that we have. The first begins in verses 1 through 17. We can experience acceptance. So if you and I are real Christians, we know the Lord in a personal way, the truth that we have to give us all the security we need is simply this. We are accepted by our God. We will never know his rejection ever. Number two, we can rejoice in suffering, verses 18 through 27. Now, how many people can say what the Christian can say? You know what? I don't like suffering. I hate the pain as much as anybody hates the pain. But I'll tell you this. I can have something inside that rejoices in a sense to say, I am okay. I believe this suffering will turn out okay. I don't know of anybody but Christians that could say that. Number three, we can trust God's sovereignty, verses 28 through 30. Now, this number two and three literally have to go back to back because we talk about suffering and we say, you're talking about I can rejoice in suffering? Why? And it's because these verses that begin in verse 28, because God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So his point is because of his sovereignty, he reigns over all. Nothing happens without his design. Then we can say even suffering is included. We spent, by the way, I bet 10 weeks. I don't remember exactly. I bet we spent 10 weeks on that subject matter. It is so deep. It is so challenging. We called it, that mini-series, we called the good news regarding the bad news. Well, there's where you get into the questions. But if God... How can, what about free will, and what about, and we walk through all of those issues for many, many weeks so that now we can come to number four. We can rest in our security, the verses we have just read. Now, week one, last week of the series, we looked at the first reason 
that we can rest secure. And it was put like this. God's acceptance nullifies all opposition. We don't have to worry about that opposition. In fact, this is how it reads in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And last week you found out that meant not that no one's against us. Oh, there there are many formidable enemies against the true believer. But the point is, who can successfully be against us? And the answer, there is no one. No one. Takes us to today's text, verse 32. God's acceptance assures provisional abundance. God's acceptance assures provisional abundance. And here is verse 32 we look at today. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, and some say up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, the text does not say God will give us all things. There's truth to that reality put in its appropriate context. But the meaning is greatly changed when the qualifier is put with it. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him over or up for us all, how shall he not then freely give us all things? And there's the point. It has to do with this unusual gift that God has given in his son. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. You and I understand that argument. It's been made many times. If then, then certainly this. But the point is it would be foolish to think that God would give his son and then not give us the lesser things. The lesser things now are not just the provisions. We'll see that in a minute. But it... But it's talking more than that. We're talking about that whatever happens in our life, that God has a design of good in it. He'll make all things good for us. There's the point he's been making. Would be as foolish as, a, as working a car deal. You're trying to buy, purchase a car. And you've been dealing, going back and forth with the, uh, uh, with the salesman. And you're trying to get the best deal. And finally you get it down and... Uh, You say, all right, I want one other thing. I just want to add one thing to this deal here. I want you to give me a tube of leather polish for the interior. And I'll make the $30,000 purchase. The salesman says, not going to do it. I'll tell you what I will do. I'll upgrade your sound system. I'll put you a bigger engine in there. I'm not giving you that tube of, of, uh, of polish. Just, I'm not doing it. You look at that guy and say, are you crazy? What are you talking about? You'll upgrade. You, you put a bigger engine in it, but you won't give me a tube. No, no tube. Won't give it to you. Man, are you crazy? It'd be like a, a child coming to a, to a parent saying, look, I need $3. I need $3. Can you give me $3? No, I won't give you $3. Can't do it. Say, what I'll do, I'll give you 50, but I won't give you three. Say, what? You, you give me 50, but you want, no, I won't give you just $3. I'll give you 50. You go, wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? And that's the same thing that's happening here. God's saying, do you understand what I'm saying here? That if I would do this, do you think for a minute that I wouldn't do that? It's so much smaller. It'd be ridiculous for me to give you that and then not give you all things. 
Now, it's interesting. There's a, a word left out of the text in the, in the English text. In the Greek, there is a word that's placed there. And I went through many different translations. And, and literally, only a very, very few put it there. I'm not sure why. It's an intensive particle is what it's called. And it would best be translated surely. But the word is designed to be placed in the text, whatever's being said, to intensify or to magnify the point being made. It's like a big exclamation point that stands and it comes right in the early part of the sentence so that we see that what he's saying is, surely, I mean, tell me, surely, if I'll do this, you would expect me to do that. And there's his point. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones, great commentator of scripture, here's the way he writes about this. He says, the God who has already done that supreme thing for us surely cannot fail to do anything less than that in order to lead us to the ultimate good for which he did the greater thing. Well put. You see, he's not just saying, he's not saying, okay, here's the deal. I want to tell you I love you. So I do, I love you. He could say that and he said it throughout scripture. But we know good and well that we want some evidence. We want to know, how do I know what you say is really true? And so let's see the action behind the words. And that's what he's done in the text. Much like this, when I was dating Carol, we had dated for four plus years. And uh, through that period of time, I had never told Carol that I loved her. And uh, I I was wrestling with the whole idea of what love was. Uh, Many of you may have read the little book, Finding Your Million Dollar Mate, and know the bigger story. But my father had deserted my mother after 25 years. I'd seen something that I thought was a a deep, real love relationship early on, and now it's gone. And I go, how do you know you're in love? How do you know it won't happen to to me? You know, I got to figure out what this thing love is. And I was in the search trying to figure it out, and I was beginning to get a handle on it. And I realized that I really did love Carol. And I always said, I don't want to tell anybody I love them till I, uh, till I know I do. And, and I don't want to, when I get there, I think I'm ready for marriage. You know, that, old enough, I said, I just want to know that I love. Well, I came to grips with love and I said, okay, I'm convinced now that I, I, I do love Carol. And so it was now time for me to pop the question. Now, I knew it had been, you know, rather fast track for me, four years. That, you know, I've rushed through this thing pretty hard and... And uh, love practical joking, and I and I knew that she might have a little bit of like, mm, seriously, are you? And is this for real or whatever? So I thought up this plan. And I had a little bet going with a couple of my buddies that I could have her engagement ring on her finger without her knowing it when I asked her to marry me. And I worked up a plan, and I executed that plan, and it worked. And so that night, in the dark of the evening, I had put the ring on her finger without her knowing it. Long story, I won't tell you how I did it, but it was genius. But anyway. <laughs> The, the ring is on her finger, and she doesn't know it. And so then I asked the question. I told her I loved her, and I said, will you marry me? And I know these weren't the exact words. I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but it was something like, Randy Poe, if this is a practical joke, I will kill you. Now, she probably didn't say I will kill you, but that's how she was. Th- I mean, she let her know, this better not be a practical joke. This is not something for joking. And what I had was a little pin light flashlight in my hand without her knowing it. And I just popped it on her finger and she looked down. And when the ring was seen, she knew it was for real. She knew I would never spend that money, much money for a joke. She knew that. 
But that was all I needed. She just needed the proof. And I could say, I want to marry you. And here's how you can know that I'm serious about what I say. Well, the reality is this is the teaching of God's word. If I would spare not my son and I would deliver him up for you, how would I not give you all things? Now, you know, we listen to that and we say, yeah, that's nice. And he died for us. I'm not sure we really understand what this means. So what we're going to do is I'm going to dig into these words for a few minutes with you. And we're going to come out the other end. And I think we're going to see what he did for us is beyond imagination. Look at your text with me. Let's look at some of the key words. The first is the word he. He who did not spare. So we have to ask the question. The text answers it. It really does. Who is it that killed Jesus? Some people hear that question. They go, well, I'll tell you who killed Jesus. The Jews, they killed Jesus. Somebody says, no, no, no. It was Herod. It was Herod's decision. He could have spared his life, and he didn't. It was Herod that had him killed. Other people go, no, 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 no. It was the devil. The evil one, that was his plan all along. And he's been trying since infant to take the life of Jesus. So it was, that's who it was, the devil. Other people say, no, no, no. We know the answer. The answer is you and I put him to death. Until the person who really knows the truth of God says, oh, no. The father put the son to death. It was his action. Oh, using other instruments. But it was his action. Oh, come on. Where do you get that? This text? I think this text. But many, many, many other texts as well. For instance, look with me on the screen. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Referring to Jesus. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I had a list of eight, ten other texts I could have read you. I'll just mention a few of them. A little further in the same text of Isaiah, verse 10. The words are used, the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord, meaning God the Father was pleased to crush his son, putting him to grief. Acts twenty two twenty three. delivered up by the predetermined plan of God, and it's referring to Jesus, delivered up by God's plan. Not just man's plan, it was God's. Chapter 4 of Acts, referring to Herod and Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, gathering against Jesus. But the words go on to say, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. It was the action of God the Father, which gives us a lot of understanding into what really this text means. Let's take the next word, spared not. What does it mean, spared not? Well, it means didn't hold back. Referring to the fact that he didn't hold back anything necessary in the suffering and the death that Jesus went through to bring about our redemption. And the Septuagint, you know what the Septuagint is? It's a term, it's a name of a, the, uh, the writing of the Old Testament, which is in Hebrew in its original, that was translated at the New Testament 
era, it was translated into the Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And these people who understood both languages, particularly they understood the Greek, they chose the exact same word that's found in our text here. When he says that he spared not to refer to the text in Genesis 22 where Abraham, you remember the story of Abraham? And he was asked, told by God, I want you to take your son Isaac, take him up to the mountain and make him a sacrifice. And he takes his knife, you can imagine, and he is not going to spare his own son. God stopped his hand, provided a ram in the thicket. And here was a story, it was a type of Christ that was being sacrificed by the father, but delivered through the lamb that would take the sins of the world. Beautiful picture, but the very same word, spared not, willing to do whatever it takes for the purchase and redemption of his people. Now, it doesn't even stop there. It's for the sake of contrast and emphasis, we have the words delivered him, and I like the term up, delivered him up, like turn him over, whichever. Delivered him up. What did that mean when he says he delivered him up? Well, in Colossians chapter 2, there's a text that tells us that at this point, at the time that he is taking on the sins of mankind, that he is literally under the control of the powers of darkness. That is the ultimate enemy of God, the evil one in his, in his realm. And it says that he's under this, this grasp during that moment. That's exactly why we hear that Jesus would proclaim in Luke 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, it was not like, oh, you know, no, it's God, you're forsaking me. You remember the story in the, in the garden of Gethsemane. In the garden there, he is praying and he is so intense and there's such agony going on that he is literally, his sweat is made of drops of blood. And he cries out to the father here and he says, oh, father, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, but let this cup go. I don't want this, please. And people think, well, goodness, if you knew you were going to be crucified the way he was and hung up like that to die, you'd be screaming too. Folks, that is not what he was saying. I think that was the least of his concern. There are missionaries through history who have said, bring it on when it comes to the most painful death possible to say, take my life. See if I care right now. And here's Jesus saying, please let this pass from me. Please let it pass from me. Because he's not talking about the physical agony as bad as it would be. But the thing that he was so grieving over was this relationship that had stood for all eternity in the most ultimate, pure, perfect love imaginable is now going to be broken and not just broken as if the father's saying, oh, no, 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 I'm losing you. But the father to say, let me strike you. Let me smite you. Let me do this to you. That there was going to be the wrath of a holy God upon him, a perfect person, only because of the sins of other people. And we think of separation and we go, how pain, we know how painful separation is. You put it on the smallest of scale. I think about it as a dad, a separation that, that just hurt me so badly. I, I remember it was my first child who went off to college. And we're driving him off to college. And I mean, I, I can't drive because I'm crying so hard. I mean, literally, I can't drive. 
I'd go in his room for two, three, four nights and just lay there and I'd cry. It was pathetic. But I did make it real clear, son, if you think I'm crying hard now, you see how hard I'll cry if you tell me you're not going to college. Now that would have been the, but I mean, it was just, we're separate. I'd, I'd never since his birth, I'd never been truly separated from him. Not, not for like this. Well, now wait, come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him in the next week or two. I'll see him in a few weeks. What's the deal? Separation. It hurts. Then my daughter goes off, not to college. She decides when she graduates, she's going to get on a ship and she's going to fly over to South Africa, get on the oldest ship on the open seas. Literally, Guinness Book of, of, of World Record, the oldest vessel, and is going to go around the world doing missionary work for a year and we wouldn't see her and be with her. And so we're leaving the airport and walking away from saying goodbye to her there at the airport. And I am crying so hard. Carol has to stop and say, Randy, pull it together. People are going to think there's been a plane crash. They're going to think their friends are on that plane. Pull it together. But no, we've been separated. So minor. Some of you take it to a much deeper level. You know the pain of separation. What about when a child dies? I've been with too many of you that have lost your children. And the loss of that child, I hear it all the time, I'm suffocating. I can hardly breathe. I don't know how I can live. The pain is so horrible. And there's a knowledge that it's, I'm going to be back with my child one day. I know that, but the separation until then is so intense, I can hardly bear it. Now, you've got to take that to a totally, totally, totally different level to realize that here is the Son of God being ripped out of relationship with the Father, that for all eternity there's been perfect love, and the Father saying, this is it. I'm going to put my wrath upon you, and the Son is just torn. You can imagine the pain of the father equal to that of the son. We have no idea what was going on at that moment. The pain that was being experienced. And all of that so that he could take a people who are his enemies and bring them into relationship with him. And so the apostle Paul writing under inspiration of God says, are you telling me? That you think that a God who would take his son and not spare him but deliver him up in this kind of execution and this kind of broken relationship for the sake of you, do you think for a minute that I won't execute everything necessary to turn all things together for good because you're in my family now? That's the point of the text. How can we think he would not give us all things. So what are the all things? Well, they're all good things. Oh, you mean everything that comes our way is good? No, not everything is good. But in God's providential plan, the teaching is, and the good is understood in the text, that he's saying he's going to turn things to good. That's what he's just said two verses previous, three verses previous. He says, I'll work all things together for good. Your worst nightmare 
I can take and I can execute it to turn it around to something more glorious than you can imagine. He says, if you don't believe it, look what I did with my son. Could there be anything worse, anything more painful? And now he's the exalted one. Reigning forever as the exalted one because of his death. And through his suffering, he's exalted. And he says, don't you believe that I can do that with you? That is his point. He says, you need to hear this voice over and over. It's a voice of saying, rest secure. Because in the worst of your day, I'm telling you, I will provide good. And you think about it this way as we close. You think about it this way. This is all he did when we were his enemies. He did that for us. Now we've been brought into his family. We're his children. And he says, I love you now as my child. I loved you then as my enemy to be my child. But now you're no longer my enemy. You're my child. And don't you think now I'm going to do whatever it takes in heaven and hell to make sure that you're secure. Now rest in that security. We won't. When the bad thing happens, I know you're, I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. We'll say, oh, this is not good. This is bad. Oh, no. Does God love us? God, uh, I know because that's the voices that I hear all the time. But do you hear this voice from what we saw last week and this week and three more weeks? And maybe there'll be enough voice being heard that when that hits, there'll be this check. And we'll say, you know what? I think I'm secure. I'm more secure than I would have been as I keep living the truth of God's great love. I'll be able to live that secure life. And when we get the secure life, remember, we don't get it so we can enjoy it. We get it so that we can use it to honor our God because all things he's worthy of. Can I ask one last question? How do you know if you're his child? How do you know? Well, I hope we understand this by now. It's not because of something we did in the past. Oh, I prayed the prayer. I I became, I did this, I did that back then. No, that's not how we know. The scriptures make it clear that there will be many that will come to Jesus on that day, Matthew 7 says, who will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And he's going to say, but wait, did I not? And he'll talk about things like prophesying and performing miracles and, uh, you know, casting out demons and all these things. And he could add to that and had a religious experience and prayed a prayer. And you could add anything you want to that. But he still say, but I never knew you. You practice lawlessness as a way of saying there was not fruit that came out in your life. How do you know? It's because of fruit. That means the fruit of a changed character, a changed heart. There's a love relationship. How do I know that I love Carol? I'm ready to marry her because I'm ready to marry her. That's why, because I'm ready to say I'm willing and ready to leave something that until now I've enjoyed called singleness. I've enjoyed freedom and being able to go and do in ministry and life, whatever I chose to do. And now there's going to be another person. There's going to be a whole nother factor determining that. And there was those years and I'm going, I don't know that I want that. I'm ready. I like this. And now I say, you know what? I love this too much to even want to hang on to that. I'm ready to let go of that and move this direction. That's how you know you're in love. Not because I told her I loved her back then. Therefore we are in love. No, it's because there's a commitment of heart. That's how you know your love.
And so if you see that fruit in your life, know this, you stand secure. If you don't, go to the cross and do what we did today. Examine his love and then realize, how would he not give me everything I needed? Why wouldn't I want to bend the knee to him right now? And when you do, know that it's because he first loved you. That's the miracle of it all. It's a mystery, but it's a miracle. Rest secure. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the good news of the gospel. As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word and the voice to constantly proclaim to us our security and what you've done for us. Thank you, Father, that you chose not to spare your son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to go to the cross to be separated from your Father. Lord, we pray that we might, even now, find a new security based on the truth that's setting us free even now so that we might enjoy that security and give you honor because of it. That is our request. And we pray all of this in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.